with with the teaching and the tables and the interacting and we're going to continue to do that for quite a while and I don't mind adding more tables. We filled these tables up, so we'll, we'll get some more tables to fill, even if we have to put them on the stage, but it's going to be a classroom setting. We're going to learn, learn the Word of God. It's easy to mask in, in today's Christendom, and a lot of people do that. They show up, they have a lot of activity, but they don't have a lot of meat or substance, and that's not critical. That's just truthful. And so in what we're endeavoring to do is make sure that if you come to this place of worship, that spiritually you grow. Whether you're 440 or 400, that spiritually you grow. There's 66 books in the Bible, and we're never too old to what? To learn. Amen? Amen. If you enjoy Bible study, why don't you give God a hand clap of praise for those of you that got to make it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed you guys and enjoyed all the questions and the things. Come rooted with your questions, and you're armed with questions, which means that myself and Terry have to be prepared. Not only are we doing this upstairs, but whatever's being taught upstairs from now on will be taught downstairs. And so Terry's going to be taking that. So if you have children or grandchildren or whoever they may be, you can go home and you can have a conversation together as a family about what's being taught so that you can do it the way it was intended in your homes to study the Word of God, because that's most important of anything else, uh, and that's going to be our focus. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, and thank you for all the stuff that you guys are doing as you get ready. I want to encourage you. Terry's working real hard to put together some stuff, and so we want to encourage everybody. I know it is a normative thing to, after service, go out to eat. I'd like you for three Sundays to suspend that and go out to serve. So when we uh, go through these three Sundays, just in case somebody said I didn't hear Terry, starting in January for three Sundays, we're going to be taking out blankets to the homeless. We're going to be handing out care packets, and we will be praying for people and leading them to salvation. So I'm going to ask everyone in the building to take that time after service and for forego the food and the fellowship, eat a big breakfast, and show up the church to serve. Um, because the Bible says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we want to start the new year right by doing something good for somebody who can't do anything back for us. And I thank Terry for putting all this stuff together. I don't, my mind doesn't work like hers. She, she can put all together all these activities and things. I need that. I'm the boring guy. Uh, I'm, I'm the guy that does the teaching. We need somebody to keep some life and keep community going. And she's, she's well suited for that. So we're grateful for that. You can go ahead, Lamarck. Our scriptures for today are starting... In the book of Luke today, a very familiar passage of Scripture, starting at Luke chapter 2 and verse 8 is where we're going to start. Luke chapter 2, verse 8, we are in a series called God With Us, uh, talking about the blessings that God have. And we're going to start, if our media team will pull it up, they started at verse 4 through 5 because I told them to. Uh, but I'm going to get you guys to go to verse 8. Uh, and we're going to start right there. If you can, uh, read that with us. Ready and read. And the shepherds were living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were terrified. Wow. But the angel of the Lord said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. 
Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard this were amazed and what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in their heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. I want to talk to you this morning from a topic called the least of these, the least of these. You may be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. God, speak. Your servants, listen. Help us hear what you are saying to our hearts and minds. Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we come up to this week of Christmas, I thought about what Christmas really means, and I've been thinking about Christmas and what comes to your mind when you think of Christmas. No doubt, when most people think of Christmas, they think of red and they think of green. They think of poinsettias. They think of gifts and candy and Christmas parties that they want to get out of. They think of, uh, of, of Amazon drivers. Thank you, Victor, bringing all our gifts so they won't be late, uh, <laughs> late, late to, to us. We get all these things of what Christmas would be. As a matter of fact, we're so focused on Christmas that we start Christmas before Thanksgiving begins. Even before the turkey is cooked and the table is spread, if you walk into the church, uh, into a church or even to a, a secular institution, you hear what? Christmas music. You hear Christmas music and jingling, and many times we have the thoughts of Christmas from seeing the thoughts of snowmen and reindeer and, and, and big men and, and suits and things like that. And all these things that I'm naming make us think of Christmas, don't they? That's amazing that when I think of Christmas or when you think of Christmas, those are the things most things people think of. Isn't it amazing? And I don't know about you. I didn't have a lot of birthdays when I was young. I had birthdays, but I didn't have birthday parties. And, and, and so I didn't make a big deal out of birthdays. But most people around, my wife, their family is very different. My wife is celebratory. They make a big deal out of everything. Everything's a celebration. And I'm not the celebration guy. I'm just, I'm a day older and let's, let's keep it moving. And, and she threw me a 40th birthday party and I realized, hey, I kind of like that. Maybe I've been missing out a little bit on birthday parties and things like that. And we love to celebrate. But I wonder how I would have loved it if it was my birthday party, but my wife spent all her time talking about everybody and everything else but me. For when I began to mention Christmas, we thought about all the, the eggnog and all the other things that we do for Christmas. And those are the things that seem to make the season bright. And even in Michigan, yes, even in Michigan, although we don't like the snow, we look for the snow because the snow makes it feel like Christmas. Isn't it amazing that everything I just gave you as a mental picture in your mind is what makes Christmas feel like Christmas? But none of that has anything to do with Christ. 
Although Jesus was not born, we know, in, in, in uh, December, he was not born on December 25th. He was probably born earlier in the year, maybe sometime between April and September. But this is the time we've taken to set aside for his party. And the world at large has created a party and not invited the guests of honor. Interesting thought, isn't it? That we've made his celebration about everything. And at least some people are intellectually honest. They'll say, I'm not really concerned about Christ, so I'll call it Xmas. I'll take the Christ out of Christmas, or I'll call it Happy Holidays. But what concerns me is that we in the body of Christ call it Christmas, but we do little to signify Christ in the world. And as we look at these shepherds, I thought about some things. This is Christ's first birthday party. And I want you to think about something. Who do you invite to your first birthday party? If you have some good news to share, you generally don't pick up and call somebody who doesn't care for you that much on the phone. When you get good news, you generally go to somebody who's special to you so they can appreciate it. Somebody that you know won't smile at you, but secretly be mad because you're blessed. You know, you do know you can't tell your blessings to everybody, just like like Joseph learned that everybody that's around you or related to you is not happy for you. So sometimes the best thing to be is quiet. But when you have good news, you have people that you want to share it with. And here it is. God is about to introduce some news into the world that he is going to send salvation into the world by the hand of his son. And we look to see who God thinks is the most important. And when he does that, you would think if God is coming to save the world, well, maybe he would go to the church. After all, the priesthood represents him. And all of a sudden, wouldn't you think that he would go to the priesthood? He would go to the churches to begin to tell people peace on earth and goodwill toward all those who have who God has favor. When his son is entering the world and he wants to tell the world about his son, wouldn't he pick his church? But for some reason, he skips right over the church. Well, maybe it's because they need somebody to get the word out. They need somebody who has influence and can, can send out caravans. So maybe he'll stop by the rich people and he'll, he'll stop by the palaces where the kings can make decrees and say that my son is coming into the earth. Everybody be known that my son will be coming into the earth. Doesn't that make sense to you? That would make sense to me. But it boggles my mind that Jesus passed over the church he passes over the rich people he passes over the people high in social status and he starts at the bottom of the ladder he goes to the shepherd just like he did with Joseph if you uh, with with David if you want to know how the Israelites thought of sheep when they came to get a new king and the prophet showed up at David's father's house for a king, he picked every son that he thought could have a, have, have a chance at being the king. And the prophet said, none of these are the ones that I need. And he didn't even think in his mind that his son was good enough to be the king. Why? Because he was tending the sheep. See, sheep herders were in the low class. They weren't important. And, and sheep herders weren't the people that you necessarily wanted to be around. Because if you study the text, the Bible says that they were in the fields, 
but they were there living. In other words, they lived in the fields with the sheep. So they smelled like the fields and the sheep. They were not people of high estate. They were not people uh, of high cause. They were not people that everybody would seek to be with. And God skipped right over the church. God skipped right over the wealthy and went out into the middle of the field and found the dirty and the nasty and the stinky and the low income sheep herders to give the best news that had ever entered the universe. Why would he do that? Why the shepherds? Why to the ones who were smelling? Why to the ones who had the lowliest job of all? Why didn't he stop by the church? Why didn't he stop by the rich and powerful? Could it be that Christ did not come to those we expected because he does not value what we value? Isaiah 55, verse 8 through 9. You can read it with me if they pull it up. What does it say? It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither my ways, your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God resists the proud. In America, we talk about pride. I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And, and, and we, we're, we take pride in who we are. But the word says that God resists the proud and gives grace to the what? Humble. You would think that as God is coming in to declare the acceptable year of the Lord and the Messiah has come, is coming, that Israel is looking for somebody who will deliver them. Israel is looking for somebody who will take control and free them from the bonds of Roman oppression. Israel is looking for a king and a deliverer. They are not looking for a baby, but God is not trying to establish a kingdom on the earth. God is trying to establish a kingdom eternal and of his kingdom there shall be no end. God is trying to do something different than what we see. I establish you today that Christmas is Christmas not because of what we made it but because of what God has made it of what who he represents. What we find important that makes Christmas is not what God finds important. All those things are fine. I have children. I love to give children gifts, but I tell my children the truth. I do not give my children, uh, uh, spoiler alert, uh, lies about fantastical people that do not really exist just so you'll feel okay about your lie. I'm not going to do that. Why? Because when they get older, they're going to say, you lied to me, daddy. How can I trust this? If you, if you lie to me about that, I'm trying to make people think that other things are important rather than the person who's the guest of honor. It's his day. It's his birthday. Why didn't he go to the rich? Why didn't he go to the church? Because they wouldn't have appreciated it like the lowly shepherd. <coughs> they wouldn't have appreciated it. They wouldn't have thought this was good news. You see what happened when Herod found out. Herod celebrated by trying to kill him. When he came into the world, the church celebrated him <coughs> by putting him on a cross. They really didn't appreciate who he was and what he had to offer. I've come to tell you this morning that Jesus did not just come for those that we would deem socially worthy. He didn't just come for the ones that we would love to show up at our 
Christmas parties. He didn't just come for the ones we love to get gifts from because they have money and they give expensive toys and expensive gifts. He didn't come for those. One of the reasons I believe that he came for the shepherd is because Jesus came for every man, rich or poor, old or young, black or white. And oftentimes we see Jesus shun those that look like they have it together and embrace, embrace those that society would seem to throw away. For Jesus reveals something in the book of Luke chapter 4, verse 18, as they put it on the screen. I want you to read the words of Jesus as he fulfills this prophecy that's written about him hundreds of years before. What does it say? It says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind and to set the oppressed free. What is Jesus saying? Who am I looking for? I'm looking for the poor. I'm looking for the oppressed. I'm looking for the prisoner. I'm looking for the captive and the blind. That's who I'm looking for. That's who I came for. The well don't need a physician. I didn't come to the priesthood because the priesthood thinks they already know me and they got it together. Isn't it amazing how we get so arrogant as we've been in church a little while? And because we've been in church maybe 20, 30 years, we don't show up. That doesn't happen here, but a lot of people, I have pastor friends, they don't show up to Bible study because they figure, I know all the Bible. That's arrogant. There's no way you can know all the Bible. You don't know every jot and tittle because you're going to forget something. There's always something that you can learn. But maybe he didn't come to the church folks because the church folks thought they knew everything already. Maybe he came to those who would receive him. Hmm. There's a beauty in this text that can get lost in the text about all of the things that we have made Christmas, that it is no matter who you are, God came to earth to give you another chance. If you will accept him, the wrath of God will be turned into favor. I like the ESV version. We've often quoted this peace on earth and goodwill towards men, but that's not an incorrect but it is an incomplete uh, a translation of it. So I went over to the ESV and we read it in the NIV. Even the NIV says it a little bit better, but the ESV says it the best, I believe. It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace with those who he is pleased. In other words, no peace for you if he's not pleased for you. Peace for those who accept his sacrifice. It makes us feel all warm and fuzzy if we say peace and goodwill toward men and it makes us feel like giving and things and we'll miss the message in our giving and our caring and all those things are good. But the only peace that will come from you is when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, because whether you know it or not, if you haven't, you are not a friend of God. You are an enemy of God and you are at war with God. And I'd rather be at war with anybody else in the world than God. Fear not him who can destroy the body, but fear him who can throw both body and soul into hell and this is a story that God has come to satisfy his wrath and he's given you a peace offering that you didn't deserve in the blood of his son and he sent his son to die for us he sent his son in the western church 
This is going to sound critical, but I'm going to say it. We become the world's worst about making church about everything except for what it's supposed to be about. When I grew up, I'll just be honest, we grew up and we were very active. They believed in keeping the kids active. We went to Memphis. We went all sorts of places. They would put us on buses and we would go all sorts of places around to all sorts of places. And the kids had activity. And if you go around to that church right now, you won't find one of those children there. You know why? Because they focus on activity and they didn't focus on putting the word of God like they needed to into those kids. And when they grew up, they went their own way. And it wasn't unique to my church. We have decided to placate people and keep people busy instead of feeding them the word of God. And when they get tired of it, they go off because they don't have any solid foundation. But I've come to tell you that I'm tired of people taking the Christian words. I'm tired of people taking our language. I'm taking Christmas back and Christmas is going to be about Christ. I'm taking church time back, and church is going to be about Christ. Yeah, we're going to do some things, even with Terry. Yeah, we're going to go out. Terry does some amazing things. Yeah, we're going to go down, and we're going to pray for people. Uh, Terry does things that are out of the norm, and I love it. They'll, she'll take the kids sometimes, and they'll go down, and, and you don't know it, but while we're having Bible study, they'll go down and just find random people to pray for. But that's going to be great, but we're going to spend time discipling them as well so that we can train them to be Terry. So then when Terry can no longer run, they can pick up the race. Terry says she can't run right now. That's just because the right thing isn't behind you. (laughs) It's time for us to take back the meaning of Christ. And Christ is not coming for the big Lord. Christ is not coming for the fanfare. He came to the least of these it says glory to God in highest in the highest and peace on earth with whom he is pleased I know this doesn't sound like the traditional Christmas message that makes us feel all warm and fuzzy but maybe that's the problem that we're busy all the time trying to make people feel warm and fuzzy and not trying to tell them the truth that Christmas is not about us Christmas is not about gifts and toys Christmas is not about having a few weeks of vacation that you don't have to go in and see the people that you don't like at work. Christmas is about Christ. Why would he come to them? I have two quick points and we're going to be out of here. Put the first point on the screen. Everybody, let's read that together. God can work with the humble. See, sometimes... We get so high that God can't work with us. Had he gone to the priest, they already knew everything. They would have spent their time trying to make a dissertation about what the angel said, try to argue theologically over what the angel said, and if this really there or the old prophets and things. You know how church people do sometimes. They argue over stuff that doesn't really matter just to prove how smart they are in the Bible. He didn't have time. For that he, he was heralding, so he went to humble people that were already at lower state, so they, weren't, they didn't have a big head, which means that nobody wants to be with us anyway. We're the shepherds. We're out here with the wolves and the bears and the lions and the tigers and the bear. Oh, my, we're out here, and nobody even 
wants to come out here and we stink and nobody wants to be near us anyway. You mean God himself would take the time to come out to somebody as lowly as us? Do you not know that's how you really get saved? You can't get saved until you're humble. And you say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You can't be saved until you realize that you need to be saved. God resists the proud, but guess what? If you're humble, I can tell you from experience, he has so much grace in store for you. God will put you in places that you shouldn't be in. He'll give you things that you shouldn't have if you'll just be humble and accept and be happy and thankful for what he's done for you and the gift he's given you. God will bless you in insane ways. I'm not telling you what I've heard. I'm telling you what I know. If we'll be humble enough like those shepherds. It's not an exciting message because... Humility is not something we like to count as something great, but humility is power. Because when I'm weak, he's what? Strong. Humility does not mean not thinking about you. The Bible says think soberly according to the measure of faith that you don't think less of yourself, but you don't think more of yourself than you ought to think. And that you realize that whatever you have, whatever station in life you have, whatever calling you have, it's only because God has graced you with it. Never get, uh, never get high because God lets you do something in the church because you are replaceable. Why? Because God made you and you can't stay here forever. And when you get to thinking that the world or the church needs you, God will show you very quickly that he, he doesn't. We get to serve. God can work with the humble. Let's pull up the next one. Let's read it together. God can work with the willing. If you are willing to work, God can use you. The Bible says when he told the shepherds through the angel and the angels left, what did they do? They didn't stop. They immediately got up and went and did what they were what? Told to do. If you are humble and have a willing heart, God can use you in amazing ways. If you can submit yourself, even when it goes against the grain of what you want to do, and trust God's word, God can use you in amazing ways. A lot of times, God is not using us because we're rebellious. He's given us direction, and we think we know more than he does about what we're supposed to be doing. And after a while, God stops arguing with us and says, I had this for you, but I'm going to go give it to this person because you knew better than I did. I'm going to give it to somebody that will listen. How many of our blessings might we have missed? Simply because we wouldn't be willing to do what God asked us to do. Shameless plug, three Sundays. I'm asking you to go without going out to eat and come serve. There might be a huge blessing in it for those who are willing. That's up to God. It's not up to me. I'm not promising you anything. You're doing it for him. But God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, and he generally shows his favor to the least of these. Paul, who wrote over two-thirds of the New Testament, 
a scholar of scholars, not in one religion, but in two. Paul is also one of the progenitors of Christianity, but you also have to realize that Paul was at the higher echelons of Judaism. Paul was taught by Gamaliel, and Gamaliel's grandfather was known to be, by some scholars, to be one of the greatest sages around. In other words, he was taught by the greatest who was taught by one of the greatest. Paul was not a slouch. And when he was asked about himself, he said, I know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then he said, I am, as he began to talk about sinners and things like that, and he said, of which I am the least of. What does this have to do about Christmas? I'm glad you asked. For the Son of Man came into the world, and we celebrated this week, but why did he come? He didn't come to be served. He came to serve. So my Christmas message for you today is to take Christmas back and be a blessing to somebody who does not have the ability, the capability, or nor the will to be a blessing to you. Do something for a stranger. When you go out to eat, take $100 out of your pocket and give it as a tip. And then don't complain about the fact that you did it, and don't blame it on me either. Find somebody, and instead of trying to size them up about why they're on the corner, they're probably not sincere, they're probably just stealing, they're just going to use it on drugs. Give them some food, do something nice for them. Because he came for the least of these, and you want to be honest? You want me to be honest? I'm the least of these. I count myself like Paul, that I am the chief of sinners. Why? Because I've realized something. God came for the sinner. He didn't come for the saint. What? Yes. For the Father came to seek and save that which was lost. So I count myself as the chief of sinners. I count myself as the least of these. And I throw myself at the foot of the mercy of the cross. And it makes the manger so much more special. Are there anybody, is there anybody in here today that can say I'm the least of these? That's what makes Christmas so special. You don't get excited about Jesus a lot of times. We've heard it a thousand times because somewhere in our mind we think we deserve it and we don't. That's the most amazing part of the story that we didn't deserve it and he did it anyway. The word became flesh and dwelt among men. How many of you in the cold Michigan weather don't want anybody to call you for help? Why? Because you don't want to leave the comfort of your home and get out in the cold to come help them. You're hoping that if they got a plumbing problem, they can call Rotorooter. If they need some food, 
that they can call one of these DoorDash places because it's cold. I didn't even want to fix the refrigerator because I didn't want to go outside the Home Depot to get a part. And I begrudgingly went outside to get that part. Nobody wants to leave the comfort of his home. But why would God leave the comfort of heaven and come down to the brokenness of earth just to save us? Him who knew no sin became sin for us, that through him we might be the righteousness of God. As I close today, I want us to take a different perspective at Christmas and realize that Christmas is the ultimate picture of grace. God giving us a gift that we really don't deserve. He left the comfort of his own. He didn't sin. He done no wrong. He didn't deserve to die. We did. But he cracked the sky and came down through a virgin to suffer for us. That's what Christmas really means. And if we will accept him, peace on earth and goodwill toward all with whom God is pleased, toward all of those who get it. Some people don't get it. I'm putting it in my vernacular. Toward those who really get what it means that God came to save those who were lost and you were lost and he saved you, there will be peace on earth for you. That does not mean that bad things won't happen to you. That does not mean that you won't get flat tires and cut off in traffic. What it means that eternally for your soul that the wrath of God has been satisfied and that there is now peace and you are at peace with God himself. And he no longer calls you enemies. He calls you friend. I am the least of these. You may, disregard, you may disagree regarding yourself. But as of me, I am the least of these. I am the chief of sinners. Amazing love, how could it be that thou, my king, would die for me? Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for coming into the earth to a lost and dying world through the gift of your precious son, Jesus Christ. And as we celebrate this season, God, may the gratitude we have for you and what you've done for us so undeserving spark us to do something for somebody else who we may think not deserve it. Let us find somebody else who may not be deserving and be a blessing to them just to say that Jesus loves you and to spread the joy of your message that peace has come on earth for all those who will accept your gospel. And we give you praise and thanks for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As Brother Dave comes today, I pray that God...